welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. We are uh, working on our identity, talking about identity. That's our, our series, and identity is something we all can identify with. I have some unique identities to who I am. I am a German-American. I, my family's both sides come from Germany. I don't know the story of when or how exactly, but I can tell from the name Sanford uh, as one way that I'm German-American. I am a Hoosier. Any other Hoosiers in the house, right? We're all Hoosiers. And we... We have a lot of identities as Hoosiers. We can be, uh, you can be Republican, you can be Democrat. I like to claim the term theocrat, and I can tell you more about that sometime. We are United Methodists, as am I. I'm a pastor. I'm an elder. Lots of pastors, I'm an elder. I'm a friend. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a father. I'm a husband. And I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. All of these are true. Yes? Well, if you don't know me, I'll show you they're all true. Each of these is a part of who I am. It affects how I live, what I do. It affects how I hope. And in these days and many days to come, I'll need hope. The core of my identity, what, what is at the very core, if I said if I could only pick one, I would pick that I'm a child of God. Before I'm even male, I'm a child of God, first and foremost, And how I claim that identity informs and impacts the rest of my identities. And honestly, it makes them all better, doesn't it? Makes me a better son, a better Hoosier. We are the church, so we're talking about our identity. Sometimes we can use words over and over again. They become so familiar that they become unfamiliar. We use them and we think we know what they mean, but then when someone asks us to define it, we struggle. This morning in Sunday school, I said, what is the church? Or better yet, why is the church? And there was a lot of silence and pondering and looking around the room, and then we got very different answers, which was kind of cool. But we as the church and all of our identities, and we have many, we're a particular congregation in a particular town of a particular denomination, right? Each of our identities affects how we live, what we do, and how we hope. So what is the core of our identity as the church? We're children of God Yes, but there are many aspects to what that means. And so we've been spending weeks talking about different things about our identity. So week one was we are sacred. We are created in the image of God. Sacred meaning we have been designated for a purpose, humanity. And so we spent first week talking about what that purpose was. And then we are holy is what we talked about last week. Invited into a new way of life. Holiness is taking off the old nature of who we were and putting on the new in Christ. Again, a lot of churchy words that you may say, what exactly does that mean? That's a great question. You can go listen to last week's sermon. We're going to talk about we are called today. We are called and moving forward. And so I want to go four parts through this. I want to tell you a story of Safan Hassan from the Netherlands. I want to talk about calling I want to talk about how Paul spoke to the church in Philippi using a metaphor, 
and then about the world of the Philippians, and then talk about how it applies to us today, us Seller, Sellersburgites. I don't know what we call ourselves. Sellersburgers? Sellersburgers? I don't know. We'll move on, right? <laughs> so first, Sifan Hassan. And forgive me, Sifan, if I'm mispronouncing your name. I tried to find the correct pronunciation and just struggled. She's a 28-year-old Dutch runner. Do you recognize her? Anybody recognize her? All right, a few people do. You might be saying, why? Well, she won three medals this week. She won three medals in the Olympics for three of the most grueling track and field events that exist. The 1,500 meter, the 5,000 meter, the 10,000 meter. And what, she, what she's kind of famous for now, besides winning three medals, is that in the qualifying heat for the 1,500 meter, uh, something happened in the race. In the, one of the last laps, a runner in front of her, they're all grouped together. Someone kind of stumbled or slipped and their leg went, stuck out a little farther behind them than they had planned. And so someone behind her kind of adjusted their route and bumped into someone else who bumped into someone else who sent Safan tumbling to the ground, flat on her stomach in the midst of this race. Um, her race should have been over, right? I mean, you fall in the Olympics you got the best athletes in the world, and now you've put yourself behind in events that are decided by hundredths of a second. should have been over. Well, Safan didn't get that memo. Safan instead got up, passed everybody, and finished first in that heat, which sent her on to the medal round. So I'm trying to imagine what would have been going through my head had I been her tumbling on the ground. I probably would have just assumed the race was over and probably would have acted according to that belief. I mean, the race should have been over. All those years of prep, yeah, but I fell. Like, the, the worst thing that can happen. It wasn't even my fault. I'd probably be mad lying on the floor thinking of whose fault was it. I, I would love to say that I, I would have responded exactly like Safan, but I don't think I would have. And Safan said she just, she focused, she got up and just focused on finishing the race. She had to finish. She went there with the goal of getting medals in all three of these races, and she can't do that if she doesn't finish this race and qualify so she just focused on that, ran past everybody, and ended up winning two golds and a bronze in these three medals. She didn't dwell on what had happened. And that's hard. Easier said than done. She put her focus on what could happen, what will happen in her mind. And then she acted accordingly and saw it through. I, uh, I wish I could say I had that kind of strength to have that kind of glorious moment like Safan. But I can say that we are called as the church. We are called, and in all of Scripture, when you hear of calling, when we talk about calling in the church, we're talking about all these instances in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, where there was an invitation to relationship and then a commission to service. And they almost are always going hand in hand. Someone is called to enter in a relationship with God in a certain way so that they could do what God needed them to do. And we are called. Paul speaks of calling use the metaphor, using the metaphor of a race. And so let us hear that metaphor in the passage. Philippians 3, 12 through 21. I'm not implying that I've already received resurrection or that I've already become complete and mature. No, I'm hurrying on, eager to overtake it because King Jesus has overtaken me. My dear family, I don't reckon that I have yet overtaken it, but this is my one aim, to forget everything that's behind and to strain every nerve to go after what's ahead. 
I mean to chase on toward the finishing post, where the prize waiting for me is the upward call of God in King Jesus. Those of us who are mature should think like this. If you think differently about it, God will reveal this to you as well. Only, let's be sure to keep in line with the position we have reached. So, my dear family, I want you all together to watch what I do and copy me. You've got us as a pattern of behavior. Pay careful attention to people who follow it. You see, there are several people who behave as enemies of the cross of the Messiah. I told you about them often enough, and now I'm weeping as I say it again. They are on the road to destruction. Their stomach is their God, and they find glory in their own shame. All they ever think about is what's on the earth. We are citizens of heaven, you see, and we're eagerly waiting for our Savior, the Lord, King Jesus, who is going to come from there. Our present body is a shabby old thing, but he's going to transform it so that it's just like his glorious body. And he's going to do this by the power which makes him able to bring everything into line under his authority. Well then, my dear family, I miss you so much. You are my joy and crown. This is how you must stand firm in the Lord, my beloved people. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. All right. You hear the race metaphor. Let's talk about what Paul's doing with that. Paul is speaking to a church in an area that was just colonized by Rome about a hundred years prior. So before that, they were their own people. They did their own things. They had their own practice, their own culture, their own policy. And then everything changed when Rome showed up, as that tended to happen. The story is that Antony, you may have heard Antony, and Octavius, who became Caesar Augustus, they had thousands of soldiers in that area, and they had completed their conquest. And so now the question was, what do we do now? So what they did was, in their newly acquired land, they gave all the soldiers land around Philippi and told them to settle that. And so the idea was, they're Roman citizens now in the territory of Rome, and when you're a good Roman citizen, what you do is you bring the culture and the practice and the policy of Rome to your people because they saw that as the ultimate way of living. Rome was the answer, was the way of peace. And so that was the right way. And so Paul speaks to people that are kind of in this situation, in this metaphor of race. Now, in the metaphor, the resurrection is the prize. Now, resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, he, he dives into that a little bit later. But ultimately, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus changes everything when we fully understand it, when we don't just use the words and say, yes, that happened, to understand what it means. And so Paul has his sights set on resurrection for his life, that one day he will rise up in a new physical body on the renewed earth. So he lays it out on this, on this race. He's running the race toward that prize. And although he's in a good place, a good position, He's not done running the race. If, if he decided he was done when he got to the head of the line, if we follow the metaphor, he probably wouldn't finish the race. Think of the poor people ahead of Safan Hassan. If they knew that she was coming, maybe the person that ended up losing their spot because she ended up passing them and finishing first, you think if they knew she was coming, they would have picked up their pace a little bit. I think in their minds, they were done. 
And so they're just running along, keeping pace, trying to, you know, it's a qualifying event. You don't want to give all your energy. Except she did, and she did. And that changed the course of the race for everyone else. Paul is saying, look, you gain the first position, don't stop running. Keep going. The prize is to finish the race and what lies at the end. And he's trying to overtake the prize, he says, straining every ounce of his energy and every ounce of his commitment to finishing the race. What in the world would possess somebody to give every ounce of their energy? He says he's trying to overtake it because Christ overtook him. That's kind of confusing. But if you go to Acts 9, and I encourage you to go to Acts 9 and read the call of Paul. Paul was living a great life as a great Pharisee, doing all the right things by the law. And then he met Christ completely out of the grace of God, and it changed everything. Suddenly, the person he thought had led all these people astray, he meets alive and well, and it kind of changes his whole approach. And so Jesus overtook him, Paul says. And I've got to say, Jesus probably overtook us. Why else would we be here? Unless something had called out to us, spoken to us, and changed us in some way. Paul doesn't focus on what lies behind him. And there's a lot of good, a lot of good in the way he lived. And he lifts it up in the chapter prior. And there's a lot of bad in the way he lived. But he's able to, in this moment of beginning the race, he's able to just keep that in the past and instead set his eyes on what lies ahead. What matters is the race in front of him, not behind him. And that in itself could really be something to challenge us. Amen? How often we spend looking backward. It's not achievement that determines your worth, Paul says. It's God's grace in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we struggle with that. We aren't loved because we behave certain ways and follow certain practices. You with me? We change our behavior and follow certain ways because we're loved. And that's an important distinction. We know we are loved because of Christ. We know we are loved because Christ came and did all the things and taught and lived and died and resurrected for us while we were so far off course. Amen? Maybe it's just me. We know we're loved because of the life, death, and resurrection, and we are promised the prize, all of us, when we enter and complete this race. Can you see the prize, resurrection in the renewed world where there's no more division, there's no more virus, there's no more death. Can you picture it? Do you claim it? It changes everything. It's coming. And so this prize is not lived in a spiritual existence. It's very physical. And Paul's trying to land this message with the Philippians. So the race that he's referring to for them is, imagine these Philippians, okay? You're alive in this time There are a lot of Roman citizens who are not in Rome, but they're Roman citizens, and they're bringing their way of the world into their culture. Not only that, but as Roman citizens so far from Rome, just to the north of them were the barbarians right across the border. At any time, there was always threat that they were going to come in and attack Rome. And they did from time to time. So you're trying to live this Roman way of life, and you're trying to bring the culture to the people and and make everything better into the way of Rome but you might be kind of tended, or you might be tempted to find your security first. I'll take care of me. I'll make sure I'm not going to be under threat. And you know what? The way of Rome kind of flies in the face of the ways of the Philippians. Maybe I'll assimilate a little bit because that's uncomfortable to always be living differently. And so they were tempted to forego their higher calling 
to live this Roman way, to enrich the life of Philippi, and instead just focus on themselves. Or maybe it's hard work. They just wanted to eat, drink, and be merry, right? Fill their stomachs, pursue their desires, and not worry about these higher callings. Just live for the appetites of the stomach and the flesh. Have we been there? For the Roman citizens in Philippi, the race that they've been living is to remain faithful to Rome, to remain faithful to their Lord and Savior, Caesar. Paul saying, it's like that, but instead of Rome, your citizenship's in heaven. And instead of Caesar being your Lord and Savior, it's Christ. So instead of living the way of Rome in Philippi, you're letting the citizenship of heaven be the core of your identity, and you're living by that way. That is the race for them. So what is our race? Often today, we lose grasp of our calling, that we are called to live as citizens of of heaven, moving forward, forgetting what lies behind and moving forward. And that we do this a number of ways, three of them, that I see a lot this day. Maybe it's just the political climate, I don't know. One, we lose grasp because we ignore. We ignore our faith in Christ as our identity. We refuse to run in the race at all. Because there are other prizes within sight that instead get our attention and our effort. We focus instead on what the world has to offer. And we sell ourselves to get it. Number two, we pick and choose what aspects of faith in Christ will be our identity. We'll gladly accept an afterlife in heaven, right? That's great. And between now and the day we die, well, that's something else. We accept the invitation to a new relationship, but we reject the commission to service because it's hard. We ignore the hells around us, and there are many. There's a rock singer I really like. I'd say his name, but it won't mean much to you. He has a song, and the song says, why would I wait till I die to come alive? I'm ready now. I'm not waiting for the afterlife. Speaking to this part of the church that sometimes we pick and choose. The number three thing we do, which I think can be the worst, is we convince ourselves that other identities are identical with our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we think that citizenship in this one group or this one nation equals citizenship in heaven, and that you can't be one without being the other. Or we convince ourselves that belonging to one political group is citizenship of heaven and all its characteristics, and the other one is citizenship of the other place, right? And both sides say it. We convince ourselves that we can serve both God and money, and we have Bible verses to back it up. Amen? We serve our appetites, our sinfulness, and we justify it using our faith and our scripture. We exclude and judge, and we pull out the Bible to support us, because we've convinced ourselves that other identities are identical with our faith in Jesus Christ. This is not a new problem. We're not doing something that hasn't been done before. Most of what Paul has to say is addressing this in the people of all these different areas. He points at it here in Philippians, and he lays out the root of the problem. When we think taking the lead position is the goal itself in the race, we've got the lead, race over, done, we're not going to run anymore. So sometimes we think, well, I'm Christian. I check that box, right? I go to church. I've said that prayer. That's it. I've achieved victory. Now it's all about me. I've been there thinking there's no need to go farther. There's no need to go deeper. 
If you've accepted the grace of God and entered into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, hallelujah, that's great. We, I don't, don't discount that. That's amazing. But that's just the beginning, Paul says. Paul says, if anybody that could claim to have achieved and reached maturity and perfection, it'd probably be him. Because he knows, he knows the story so well. He even tells the Philippians, imitate me. Could you imagine if I said that? Friends, just live as I live and all will be okay. Don't. <laughs> but Paul says that. If anybody could say, I've reached it, it would be Paul. And Paul said the beginning of this, don't think, don't think that I've reached it myself, I haven't. I forget what lies behind me, what happened yesterday, what happened years ago, and I solely reach ahead for the things ahead of me. The prize of God's upward call of King Jesus. And all of us who are spiritually mature will think this way. So the goal is to run as if you are in first, but keep running. We found the best path to run the only real race. Amen? So live as if you're in the best position. Live as if the reality you're running towards is true, that this future will change how things are now because it does, because the good news is, is that our core identity is in Christ Jesus. That's the core of the church's identity. Jesus has overtaken us and it's changed everything else. Why, would, why else would you be here? Jesus has equipped us with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Jesus is leading us in the race. When we run the race of faith in Christ, or as Paul says, when we stand firm in our identity as citizens of heaven, or another way he says it, when we stand firm in the Lord and say no to citizenship of anything else, what we actually find, the wonderful truth in saying yes to heaven alone, is you become a better citizen of every other identity you could have. It makes you a better American person. It makes you a better Hoosier. We are called, and we are called to move forward, always forward, our life of faith in Jesus Christ, to run the race with perseverance, fervor, and love. We don't look backward to think of any of our achievements. I'm good to forget the bad ones, amen? But I forget the good ones too, because we're facing forward. I say yes to the call of an invitation into relationship and a commission to service to bring the reality of heaven's culture and practice and policy into every moment of my life for everybody, no matter where I am. We are not to be swayed away from our true citizenship in heaven because our core identity is in Jesus Christ. So run the race, my friends. If we've stumbled, so what? That was yesterday. Rise up, fix your eyes on the prize and move forward in your calling as a citizen of heaven. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.